Part eight of chapter three of Studies in the Psychology of Sex, volume two, by Havelock Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The next case is interesting as showing the mental and emotional development in a very radical case of sexual inversion. History twenty. Englishman, of independent means, aged forty-nine. His father and his father's family were robust, healthy, and prolific on his mother's side phthisis insanity and eccentricity are traceable he belongs to a large family some of whom died in early childhood and at birth while others are normal he himself was a weakly and highly nervous child subject to night terrors and somnambulism excessive shyness and religious disquietude sexual consciousness awoke before the age of eight when his attention was directed to his own penis his nurse, while out walking with him one day, told him that when little boys grow up their penises fall off. The nursery maid sniggered, and he felt that there must be something peculiar about the penis. He suffered from irritability of the prepuce, and the nurse pounded it before he went to sleep. There was no transition from this to self-abuse. About the same time he became subject to curious half-waking dreams. In these he imagined himself the servant of several adult naked sailors he crouched between their thighs and called himself their dirty pig and by their orders he performed services for their genitals and buttocks which he contemplated and handled with relish at about the same period when these visions began to come to him he casually heard that a man used to come and expose his person before the window of a room where the maids sat this troubled him vaguely between the age of eight and eleven he twice took the penis of a cousin into his mouth after they had slept together the feeling of the penis pleased him. When sleeping with another cousin, they used to lie with hands outstretched to cover each other's penis or nates. He preferred the nates, but his cousin the penis. Neither of these cousins was homosexual, and there was no attempt at mutual masturbation. He was in the habit of playing with five male cousins. One of these boys was unpopular with the others, and they invented a method of punishing him for supposed offences. They sat around the room on chairs, each with his penis exposed, and the boy to be punished went around to the room on his knees and took each penis into his mouth in turn. This was supposed to humiliate him. It did not lead to masturbation. On one occasion the child accidentally observed a boy who sat next to him in school playing with his penis and caressing it. This gave him a powerful, uneasy sensation. With regard to all these points, the subject observes that none of the boys with whom he was connected at this period, and who were exposed to precisely the same influences, became homosexual. He was himself, from the first, indifferent to the opposite sex. In early childhood, and up to the age of thirteen, he had frequent opportunities of closely inspecting the sexual organs of girls, his playfellows. These roused no sexual excitement. On the contrary, the smell of the female parts affected him disagreeably. When he once saw a schoolfellow copulating with a little girl, it gave him a sense of mystical horror. Nor did the sight of the male organs arouse any particular sensations. He is, however, of opinion that, living with his sisters in childhood, he felt more curious about his own sex as being more remote from him. He showed no effeminacy in his preferences for games or work. He went to a public school. Here he was provoked by boy friends to masturbate, but, though he often saw the act in process, it only inspired him with a sense of indecency. 
in his fifteenth year puberty commenced with nocturnal emissions and at the same time he began to masturbate and continued to do so about once a week or once a fortnight during a period of eight months always with a feeling that that was a poor satisfaction and repulsive his thoughts were not directed either to males or females while masturbating he spoke to his father about these signs of puberty and by his father's advice he entirely abandoned onanism he only resumed the practice to some extent after the age of thirty when he was without male comradeship the nocturnal emissions after he had abandoned self-abuse became very frequent and exhausting they were medically treated by tonics such as quinine and strychnine he thinks this treatment exaggerated his neurosis all this time no kind of sexual feeling for girls made itself felt he could not understand what his schoolfellows found in women or the stories they told about wantonness and delight of coitus his old dreams about the sailors had disappeared but now he enjoyed visions of beautiful young men and exquisite statues he often shed tears when he thought of them these dreams persisted for years but another kind gradually usurped their place to some extent these second visions took the form of the large erect organs of naked young grooms or peasants these gross visions offended his taste and hurt him though at the same time they evoked a strong active desire for possession he took a strange poetic pleasure in the ideal form but the seminal losses which accompanied both kinds of dreams were a perpetual source of misery to him there is no doubt that at this time that is between the fifteenth and seventeenth years a homosexual diathesis had become established he never frequented loose women though he sometimes thought that would be the best way of combating his growing inclinations for males and he thinks that he might have brought himself to indulge freely in purely sexual pleasure with women if he made their first acquaintance in a male costume as deba juice cherubino court pages young halberdiers as it is only when so clothed that women on the stage or in the ballroom have excited him his ideal of morality and fear of venereal infection more than physical incapacity kept him what is called chaste he never dreamed of women never sought their society never felt the slightest sexual excitement in their presence never idealized them aesthetically he thought them far less beautiful than men statues and pictures of naked women had no attraction for him while all objects of art which represented handsome males deeply stirred him it was in his eighteenth year that an event occurred which he regards as decisive in his development he read plato a new world opened and he felt that his own nature had been revealed next year he formed a passionate but pure friendship with a boy of fifteen personal contact with the boy caused erection extreme agitation and aching pleasure but not ejaculation through four years he never saw the boy naked or touched him pruriently only twice he kissed him he says that these two kisses were the most perfect joys he ever felt his father now became seriously anxious both about his health and his reputation he warned him of the social and legal dangers attending his temperament but he did not encourage him to try coitus with women he himself thinks that his own sense of danger might have made this method successful or that at all events the habit of intercourse with women might have lessened neurosis and diverted his mind to some extent from homosexual thoughts a period of great pain and anxiety now opened for him but his neurasthenia increased he suffered from insomnia obscure cerebral discomfort stammering chronic conjunctivitis inability to concentrate his attention and dejection meanwhile his homosexual emotions strengthened and assumed a more sensual character 
he abstained from indulging them as also from omenism but he was often forced with shame and reluctance to frequent places baths urinaries and so forth where there were opportunities of seeing naked men having no passion for women it was easy to avoid them yet they inspired him with no exact horror he used to dream of finding an exit from his painful situation by cohabitation with some coarse boyish girl of the people but his dread of syphilis stood in the way he felt however that he must conquer himself by efforts of will and by a persistent direction of his thoughts to heterosexual images he sought the society of distinguished women once he coaxed up a romantic affection for a young girl of fifteen which came to nothing probably because the girl felt the want of absolute passion in his wooing she excited his imagination and he really loved her but she did not even in the closest contact stimulate his sexual appetite once when he kissed her just after she had risen from bed in the morning a curious physical repugnance came over him attended with a sad feeling of disappointment he was strongly advised to marry by physicians at last he did so he found that he was potent and begot several children but he also found to his disappointment that the tyranny of the male genital organs on his fancy increased owing to this cause his physical mental and moral discomfort became acute his health gave way at about the age of thirty unable to endure his position any longer he at last yielded to his sexual inclinations as he began to do this he also began to regain calm and comparative health he formed a close alliance with a youth of nineteen this liaison was largely sentimental and marked by a kind of etherealized sensuality it involved no sexual acts beyond kissing naked contact and rare involuntary omissions about the age of thirty-six he began freely to follow homosexual inclinations after this he rapidly recovered his health the neurotic disturbances subsided he has always loved men younger than himself at about the age of twenty-seven he had begun to admire young soldiers since he yielded freely to his inclinations the men he has sought are invariably persons of a lower social rank than his own he carried on one liaison continuously for twelve years it began without passion on the friend's side but gradually grew to nearly equal strength on both sides he is not attracted by uniforms but seeks some uncontaminated child of nature the methods of satisfaction have varied with the phases of his passion at first they were romantic and platonic when a hand touch a rare kiss or a mere presence sufficed in the second period sleeping side by side inspection of the naked body of the loved man embracements and occasional emissions after prolonged contact in the third period the gratification became more frankly sensual it took every shape mutual masturbation intercrural coitus fellatio arumatio and occasionally active pedicatio always according to the inclination or concession of the beloved male he himself always plays the active masculine part he never yields himself to the other and he asserts that he never has the joy of finding himself desired with ardour equal to his own he does not shrink from passive pedicatio but it is never demanded of him coitus with males as above described always seems to him healthy and natural it leaves a deep sense of well-being and has cemented durable friendships he has always sought to form permanent ties with the men whom he has adored so excessively he is of medium height not robust but with great nervous energy with strong power of will and self-control able to resist fatigue and changes of external circumstances 
in boyhood he had no liking for female occupations or for the society of girls preferring study and solitude he avoided games and the noisy occupations of boys but was only non-masculine in his indifference to sport was never feminine in dress or habit he never succeeded in his attempts to whistle he is a great smoker and has at times drunk much he likes riding skating and climbing but is a poor horseman and is clumsy with his hands he has no capacity for the fine arts and music though much interested in them and is a prolific author he has suffered extremely throughout life owing to his sense of the difference between himself and normal human beings no pleasure he has enjoyed he declares can equal a thousandth part of the pain caused by the internal consciousness of pariahdom the utmost he can plead in his own defence he admits is irresponsibility for he acknowledges that his impulse may be morbid but he feels absolutely certain that in early life his health was ruined and his moral repose destroyed owing to the perpetual conflict with his own inborn nature and that relief and strength came with indulgence although he always has before him the terror of discovery he is convinced that his sexual dealings with men have been thoroughly wholesome to himself largely increasing his physical moral and intellectual energy and not injurious to others he has no sense whatever of moral wrong in his actions and he regards the attitude of society toward those in his position as utterly unjust and founded on false principles the next case is like the foregoing that of a successful man of letters who also passed through a long period of mental conflict before he became reconciled to his homosexual instincts he belongs to a family who are all healthy and have shown marked ability in different intellectual departments he feels certain that one of his brothers is as absolute an invert as himself and that another is attracted to both sexes i am indebted to him for the following detailed narrative describing his emotions and experiences in childhood which i regard as of very great interest not only as a contribution to the psychology of inversion but to the embryology of the sexual emotions generally we here see described in an unduly precocious and hypesthetic form ideas and feelings which in a slightly and more fragmentary shape may be paralleled in the early experiences of many normal men and women but it must be rare to find so many points in sexual psychology so definitely illustrated in a single child it may be added that the narrative is also not without interest as a study in the evolution of a man of letters a child whose imagination was thus early exercised and developed was predestined for a literary career End of part eight of chapter three recording by john fricker